series is a Q&A with God. So it's this longer series that we've been doing, and it's about questions either that God has for us or that we have for God or that we have for one another some of the time. Uh, and so it's just a lot of questions. And so today's question is, do you love me? And for those of you that are a little bit older, you'll see that. And the first thing you think is, do you love me now that I can dance? Right? And so I couldn't actually get past that when I was trying to set up my intro. So I'm, I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing. Uh, and also, if we do more than like five seconds of that song, then YouTube will yank us, so we're not going to play it either. But uh, that's where my brain was. But that's not at all what Jesus asked. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And we're going to talk about that kind of situation. Fortunately, a uh, little spoiler alert, it's not connected to whether or not you can dance, uh, which is good because if whether or not you love Jesus was connected to how well you could dance, I would be out, man. I can't. I would be done. So we're going to start off, we're going to talk a little bit about Peter and Peter's life and the journey that sort of takes him to the spot where Jesus is asking him, like, do you love me? Uh, which is a little bit of a harsh question some of the time. Uh, so Peter is famous, right? Like we've, we actually spent a lot of time on Peter in the fall, uh, and he was one of the followers of Jesus that has like a lot of name recognition, right? Like he's the one that talks a lot of times in the gospel. He represents the disciples. He's kind of one of the leaders. He's got this huge faith and he's also got this huge personality, and he also has these huge weaknesses, right? Like, one minute, he's getting out of the boat and walking on water to Jesus because, like, Jesus said I should, right? And then the next minute, he's completely distracted by the fact that he's walking on water, and he's sinking. You're like, how do you do both of those things in, like, a 30-second span, right? Like, he's got these, these sort of crazy swings. He's the one that's like, you know, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And five minutes later, he's telling Jesus, don't, you don't need to die. Dying? No, we're not going to do that. That's a bad idea. That's bad PR, right? Like, and so he's got these, like, he's this huge personality. So it's not a surprise that when we had this story about, like, some craziness that Peter's in the middle of it. And what happens is, is he's in the garden with Jesus. Jesus is preparing to die. Jesus knows that death is his next step. Um, and so as Jesus is preparing to die, you know, he's, Peter's supposed to be praying. He can't stay awake. Um, and then the soldiers come, and, and Peter goes from sleeping when he's supposed to be praying to like, oh, I guess we're going to go with armed insurrection, right? So he attacks somebody. He pulls out a sword, tries to kill a guy. Um, he's, he only gets his ear. Uh, but then Jesus gets arrested and led away, and so Peter's going to figure out, like, he's going to follow Jesus. He's going to, like, protect him or something? I don't know. So he follows Jesus, and, and he goes to the outside of the court where Jesus is at. They're trying Jesus. And so he, he just tried to kill a guy to protect Jesus. And then some guy comes up to him and he's like, hey, you were with Jesus, right? And he's like, nope, wasn't me. I wasn't with Jesus, right? And so three times that happens. And the third time, it's this, this little girl, like she's not probably very old. She's just a teenager. And she's like, were you with Jesus? And he starts cussing at her, right? Like he's so like offended that she would ask if he was with Jesus or not. He's like screaming mad at her. He's cussing her out. You're like cussing out interns and dying for Jesus. Don't like same guy, same evening, right? And so that's where he's at. And, and so he runs away. He's embarrassed. He realizes that he betrayed Jesus. He runs away. And then later on, he sees Jesus die, right? Like the same day that he denies that Jesus was his Lord, he watches Jesus die. And then three days later, he sees Jesus rise again. And so he's obviously all over the place emotionally, like all of us would be, right? Like it's not a Peter thing. It's just a human being thing. So he's, he's going through this. He's struggling with this. But he feels, and, and we know this kind of from some of the, the stuff we've got in the text, Peter feels like he betrayed Jesus and he doesn't know what the next step is. That's super annoying. Um, 
he doesn't know what the next step is. And so he's trying to like figure it out. So he goes back to work. He's got a job. He's a fisherman, right? And so he heads back to work. He goes back to work. And so he's fishing. He's got the third shift. He's in the middle of the night. And Jesus shows up. It's morning at the end of his shift. And he's got all these fish that he caught because Jesus told him to. And then Jesus yells like, hey, bring some of those fish in. We're going to roast fish for breakfast. We're going to have breakfast like you and I and some of the other guys that are with you. We're going to have breakfast. And so he hauls him in and he's sitting there and he's still got this, I betrayed Jesus. I left Jesus to go do my job again. I'm not really sure where I'm at. And Jesus kind of pulls him aside and says, do you love me? Right, and so if we're in John 21, it says this, starting in verse 15, he says, when they had finished breakfast, right, they had roasted fish on the beach, which is kind of cool, I guess. Um, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because of, he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so Jesus asks of Peter, again, Jesus is the son of God. And so he doesn't, he doesn't not know the answer to this question. He knows where Peter's at. He knows that Peter loves him. But he's, he's offering Peter a chance to sort of evaluate himself and, and to take an opportunity for restoration. Um, it's a chance for Peter to say, do I love Jesus? Were the acts when I betrayed Jesus, was that who I am? Or was that the thing where I said that he was the son of God, the thing where I affirmed that he was, you know, God come in the flesh, the part where I I walked on water because I knew that he told me to? Like, which one of those are the person that I want to be? And so it's an opportunity for Peter to evaluate. And then Jesus is saying, listen, I know that you betrayed me, but I'm giving you the chance to affirm the fact that you love me, that you want to follow me. And so Jesus sort of in love offers him that. And it's not insignificant that when Jesus asked this, this is sort of a reference to the greatest commandment, right? Like the greatest commandment, if, you're, if you read through the Gospels a bunch, the Nate translation of the greatest commandment is love God with everything that you are, right? Like every piece of you needs to be in love with God. And so Jesus is God. And so he's offering Peter this opportunity, like, do you love God with everything that you are? And Peter, you need to evaluate your life in light of that. So I want to look at what that means for us, sort of generally, like what does it mean for us? Because Jesus doesn't just ask this of Peter, he asks this of all of us. We've all betrayed him at some level, and so he wants to give us that same opportunity for evaluation and and restoration. He comes to all of us and he says, do you love me? But before we can do that, I think we have to nail down what love is, because we get confused about what love is. Uh, what does it mean to love? Like, what does it mean to love someone? What is love actually? Socially, we've got sort of some weird definitions, right? Like it's strong affection. Like I really appreciate you. I love you. Like you, I affirm that. You know, like it's this, it's affection. I like you a lot, right? Like that's sort of a base level that we tend to use. It's not maybe that strong all the time. It's, it's a feeling. I feel positive. I feel like this. And so I'm going to say that I love you. I feel like I love you. Um, and it's a come and go type thing, right? Like you love your family sometimes and then sometimes you don't because you don't really feel like you love them some of the time. <laughs> like, you know, they, you live with them and they're cool most of the time, but sometimes not as much. 
Um, and then a lot of times we take that strong affection and we tie that to romance, right? So then it's a romantic feeling of strong affection. So then it's just reserved for like the one person that you're supposed to be romantically connected to. Um, and that's still problematic because that's a really limited view of, of what love is. And, and romantic feelings are even more fleeting than just like strong affection feelings, right? Like you cannot hate the person, but not be like, oh, I feel like romantically attached to you. That's a pretty... Romantic feelings are very specific, but that's the way that we tend to use love in our culture. We also just use it for things that we appreciate, like, I love those fries, right? Like, <laughs> I really love that movie. Michael B. Jordan is such a great actor, right? Like, you're like, really, you loved it? Is that? It's, it's sort of a flippant response, like, I love it. It's great. It's wonderful, you know? And it's good, maybe, but do you love it? And so we, we use all of these things. We use the word love, and, and that's kind of the way that we, we tend to, to communicate it. Uh, and those are fine. I don't think any of those are terrible definitions, but they're very small pieces of the definition. Like, love is a lot bigger than strong affection and romantic feelings and something that we appreciate. That's just a little, little tiny piece of love. If you're like, well, that's what love is, you're like, yeah, and Clinton River is connected to the Great Lakes Waterway. Like, it's true, it is, but at the same time, if that's your vision of what the Great Lakes are, you're like, that's really, it's much more than that. It's so much more than that, right? And so we have to say, what does it mean to love, not just in the way that we commonly define what love is in our culture, because it's a very limited and, and small view of what love is. Biblically, the idea for love is, is much more significant. Um, Ariel White says this, he says, love is moral goodwill, which proceeds from esteem, principle or duty rather than attraction or charm. He says to love the undeserving despite, like Christian love is to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. Eugene Carpenter adds this, he says, although love tends to connote spontaneous feelings given its emotive nature, so he's saying it's still an emotion and it's sometimes spontaneous, love is deliberate and careful, measured choice based on the duration and depth of the relationship. Love isn't just, I feel this way today. Love is, I choose to make a lifestyle that points in this direction. Like, it's much more than just, I feel this way. It's, it's something much deeper. In, in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul set, defines love as this. And if you've been to a wedding, I'm sure that you've seen this. So this is probably not new to anyone, regardless of whether or not you've ever been in church for anything other than a wedding before. Um, he, Paul says this. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So that's Paul trying to lay out sort of a framework of what real love is. And there's two things that I want to pull out of this. There's a ton there. There's a ton there. But I, I want to pull out these two things. First of all, love doesn't insist on its own way. I'm a selfish person. Like, I'm fundamentally selfish, and I know that, and yet... Paul says, if you love, then you're not selfish. I'm not going to insist on my own way if I truly love. Right? Like, that's rough because I am, I am selfish. I do want my own way. I kind of want to make demands. But when, when we look at relationships, we realize that if you're the one in the relationship that's always demanding your own way, that always gets what you want, you're the bully, right? Like, you don't love that person. You love what that person does for you. And so we recognize that's not actually a good definition of love. Love is supposed to be about, 
I care about you so much, I love you so much, that I'm willing to give up what's right for me, what I like, what I prefer, because I care about you. I want to give this to you because you're more important. So if we're, we're demanding or, or we're selfish and that's the way that our relationship is, we have to look and say, okay, is that really love? The other piece is that love rejoices in truth but not in wrongdoing. And so when you actually truly deeply love, then you can say, you can be honest about where this is and say, I love this person, but I'm not going to celebrate the problems and the messed upness of this whole thing. I, I'm going to focus on, on what the reality is. And so sometimes I feel like I love my wife, right? Like I feel this, it's an emotional. And other times I don't feel it. But if I don't feel it, love rejoices in the truth. And so it says, I promise to love her the rest of my life regardless of whether or not I feel like it. I'm gonna act like I love her. I'm gonna sacrifice. I'm gonna stay committed to her. And I'm not gonna go seek that satisfaction elsewhere because I'm gonna rejoice in the truth and not celebrate wrongdoing. Right, like that's what love is. It's faithfulness, it's commitment. And you're saying, I'm doing this because I committed to do this and this is what I want to do. So, so love is something that's a little bit more, it's got a little bit more depth, a little bit more fullness than the way that we often define love in our world. And actually, if we look at Peter, if you look at him in the original language, he talks about like when Jesus asks him, like, Peter, do you love me? He's using this kind of language, like, Peter, do you really deeply love me? And Peter responds the first two times with, gosh, Jesus, I sure do like you, right? Like, it's not the same response. And it's not until the first time, third time when Jesus says, do you like me? And Peter's like, Lord, I, I actually do love you. I, I actually do have that. I want to be committed to you. I want to have that deeper relationship. And so when we look at sort of the way that we define love, when Jesus comes to us, he doesn't ask, first off, he doesn't ask us, do you like me? Do you have fond affection for me? Do you care a little bit? He's saying, are you deeply committed to me? Do you really love me? And so our response ought not be, yeah, Jesus, you're a pretty cool friend. Right? Like that's not what he's asking for. But then, knowing that definition of love, we can sort of say, well, I'm not sure that I like Jesus asking that. Like, I've got an objection to that. I feel like that's a little bit pushy for Jesus to ask that. Jesus isn't asking, like, you know, hey, do you, do you care about me a little bit? He's saying, are you willing to sacrifice yourself for me? That's a big ask. I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with Jesus just asking me that. Like, maybe no. Maybe I just like him a little bit. And as Christians, we want to say, of course, that's not accurate. But I, I think unless we really sort of examine where we're at, like, how much do I give up for God? How much am I willing to really live for him? How much do I truly love him? And, and so it, it sounds a little pushy. And if you, if you say it doesn't sound pushy at all, okay, that's because you have a lot of faith in God and a good relationship with him. Ask him, ask someone else that you don't know that well, like, do you truly, deeply, self-sacrificially love me? And they're going to be like, No. Right? Like, that's going to be the response. If you don't have a good relationship with someone, then that's, their, that's a little bit of an offensive question. Like, I'm not going down that road. I don't know you that well. But here's the thing. God doesn't just come to us and ask us that right off. That's not the starting point for our relationship with God, where God just shows up and he's like, you need to deeply love me or else. That's not how that works. If we turn to 1 John chapter 4, it says this, and we're going to be in 1 John 4 for a while, so if you want to flip there and stay there, that would be a good idea. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 9, it says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God doesn't start off this, the conversation with, you need to love me. God says, I don't love me. And so I'm going to love you deeply, and I'm going to sacrifice myself for you to prove that I love you deeply. And then after that, we'll talk about whether or not you love me. The starting point for our relationship with God is his deep love for us. His self-sacrificing love for us. So, so God is in eternity and he recognizes that we've rebelled against him and we've sinned against him and we've rejected him. And he says, they're never going to come back. They don't love me. They don't care about me at all. I love them deeply. I love them dearly. How do I sacrifice? What can I give in order to build that relationship? Right? And so Jesus, God in the flesh, comes down to earth and he died on the cross for our sins. Propitiation means that he covered our sin problem. He got rid of the fact that we were separated by, from God by our sin. He said, we're not, Jesus paid the price for our sin because he loved us. He died on the cross saying, I want to build a relationship with you and I know you don't love me, but I'm going to sacrifice myself in order to overcome all the barriers so that we can have this relationship because I love you. And so the starting point for our relationship with God isn't God demanding that we love him. It's God deeply, sacrificially giving of himself in love so that he could have a relationship with us. And so when we start there, then all of a sudden in, in 1 John 4, 19, it says we love, why? Because he first loved us. I didn't even have a concept of how self-sacrificial love was until I looked at the cross and said, wow, Jesus loved me so much and gave up so much for me. That's what love is. And so now I learn what love is based on what Jesus has done. I can love God back self-sacrificially because of what he's done. I can love my wife and my kids in a way where I give up of myself because of I see what Jesus has done. Jesus sacrificed himself. So now that we've sort of hammered that out, what love really is and what the definition of love is and how much God loved us, let's ask the, ourselves the question, do I love God? What are the things that pull my affection? What are the things that I'm drawn to naturally? What do I care about? Again, going back to 1 John, we'll, we'll actually step back a couple of verse or two to, to sort of get the whole context of that paragraph. 1 John 4, 7 says this. It says, Beloved, let us one love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is the love of God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And so when we ask ourselves the question, what does it mean that I say that I love God? Do I love God? One of the things that pops up is, do I know God, right? It says, if, if, we, love, if we don't love, we don't know God. So we have to say, okay, I have to know God. And I think if we're people that come to church a lot, it's easy for us to say that we know God. Right? Like, I come to church a lot, I read my Bible a lot, therefore I know God. When really, sometimes, it's I know a lot about God. Like, I've got lots of facts, I've got a bunch of theology books that I can read, I've got a bunch of devotionals that I spend time in, and I know a lot about God. But do I know God? Do I actually have a relationship with Him, or do I just like the fact that I know stuff? 
And so, sure, a part of having a relationship with God is spending time in his word and spending time in prayer. But if that doesn't impact you, if that's just a thing that you do because you feel like that's what I should do, then maybe it's not actually a relationship. Maybe you just know about God. Paul the Apostle says this in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, we, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know what he ought to know. If anyone loves God, he's known by God. Paul's saying, we can all know the facts. The question isn't whether or not you know the facts, it's whether you actually have a relationship with God. And so that's, that's kind of the first test question for whether or not I love God. Do I know God? Or do I know about God? And like I said, if you grew up in a church, it's easy to know about God. You sit here for an hour, your kids are in blast, you read the Bible a couple times a week, you know more about God factually than a bunch of people that walk around with you every day. You're the one that has all the spiritual knowledge. That is not the same as a personal relationship with Jesus. If we go back to that first John passage, verse 11 says that if we love God, we're going to love one another. And so that's kind of the second piece is, is loving one another is a part of what it means to love God. Now, we're going to talk about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself next week, so I don't want to steal all my thunder. I won't spend a bunch of time on that. Um, you can come back if that's interesting to you. Um, but John 13, I think, is a great example of what it means to love each other. And this is Jesus. It's not Jesus on the cross. It's a separate example, and it's not the one that I'm going to use next week, so this is perfect. Um, John chapter 13, starting in verse 3, Jesus this is what happens. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. If we jump down to verse 12, it says this, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, as your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought also wash one another's feet. As I have given you an example, you should do just as I have done to you. And so culturally, we don't maybe get this, but in a, in a country where most people are wearing sandals, if anything, and all the roads are dirt and everybody walks everywhere, feet were disgusting. And this was the worst job that you could possibly have. And Jesus says, I love you guys enough that I'm going to serve you in this way. He gives of himself. He sacrifices himself in order to give to them because he loves them. This is what self-sacrificial love looks like. When we think self-sacrifice, we think I would jump in front of a bullet for this person. That's how we define self-sacrifice. And that's true and that's good, fine. But most of us haven't had that as a, as a problem. That's not the way that we need to choose to self-sacrifice on a daily basis. It's a lot different. It's a lot of times the garbage job that nobody else wants. So culturally, in my life stage, the translation is, I need to change more poopy diapers. <laughs> like, that's the job, right? Like, I hate that job. Nobody wants that job. You only do that if you feel like, well, I guess I have to. Maybe for you, it's something different. If you don't have kids that are in diapers age, you know, good for you. You can, you can choose something else. Maybe it's, I need to be the one that collects the garbage. I need the one to be the one that grabs the garbage cans out, even when somebody didn't put the lid on and it's disgusting, right? Like, these, Jesus is saying that those acts of self-sacrifice, giving up of yourself, that's a part of what it means to love someone. To say, I don't want to do this. I think this is gross, but I'm going to choose to do it anyway because this is the right thing to do and this is helpful for you. 
It's humility. Jesus didn't have to do this. He could have sat there in bed like, hey, somebody needs to wash some feet here. Let's go. He could have. He was in charge. But he said, I'm going to take the worst job. I'm going to humbly give of myself. And, and it's service. Like we, we talk all the time about how Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and to serve people. This is literally serving people. He took the worst job and did it for all the people that were around him because he loved them. And he's saying, by the way, this is what love is. That you take that worst job and you, because you care about the people in front of you. And I think a lot of times when we look around and we see Christians, we say, oh, that person's a great Christian. But then we look at their lives and we realize that it doesn't reflect love at all. They're not going to sacrifice themselves. They're not going to be humble. They're not going to serve other people. They're, they're doing their Christianity because it makes them look good. Right? And so we've got to say, if I follow that person, that's what I'm going to turn out. I have to look at Jesus and say, Jesus is the one that I want to follow. I want to self-sacrificially serve in humility because that's what Jesus did. That's the person that I want to be. I want to show my love for God by serving other people. And so the next question I ha have to respond with when God says, you know, do you love me? Then I have to ask myself, do I love people the way that Jesus does? Do I give up of myself the way that Jesus did? Do I care that much? Okay, the answer is no, but you still have to work for it, right? Like we still have to strive to get there because we know we're going to fail in that. I'm not going to love as much as Jesus did, but I still have to try. The third one, and, and I know we're running out of time. We've got uh, communion still, so I don't want to take up too much time. But the third one is obeying God. And it says, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Right? And so another piece of loving God is to say, I know what you've called me to do, and I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to be obedient to the things that you've put in front of me. A lot of times my obedience is because I think it's a good idea. And if I don't trust God enough, then that's where it ends. But if I truly love God, if I recognize for who he is, and, and I truly deeply love him, then even the commands that I don't like, that I don't appreciate, that feel a little painful, I'll say, this is the self-sacrifice that I've got to go through, and I'm willing to be obedient even when it's hard. And, and in this day and age, there's a lot of things that culturally we want to, to say we don't have to do. Like, God calls me to this, and I see it in the scripture, but I don't want to do it because nobody else is doing it, and I look weird, or people make fun of me for it, or people cancel me for it, or whatever it is, and, and you say, I'm not going to do that because this is what God called me to do. And, and God says, listen, this is what I told you to do because I love you, and I already died for you. You may want to think about obeying. And, and one of the big ones, one of the big ones that, that I think we struggle with in our day-to-day -day lives is making disciples, right? The last thing that Jesus said before he went into heaven is, in, in Matthew 28, you don't have to turn there, but he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've commanded you. The last thing that Jesus tells his disciples is, You need to go make more disciples. So if I love Jesus and being obedient to him is one of the ways that I prove that, I need to go make disciples. And there's lots of ways to obey. So I'm not, if that's not the one that you, you know, focus on, that's maybe okay. But realize that Jesus gives us these commands in order for us to obey them. And when we obey them, that's one of the ways that we demonstrate our love for God. And so my last question, when Jesus comes and says, do you love me? One of the things you can look at your own life and say, do I obey Jesus by making disciples? 
Is that where I'm at? Or do I obey Jesus in the ways that are convenient and easy? Right, like making a disciple is a lot of work. It takes a lot of years. It takes a lot of time out of your week. It's, it's an ongoing investment. And so to, to pour that time into another person, that's I'm only going to do that if I love Jesus and I want to obey him. Right, and so Jesus asks, do you love me? And that, that's what the question that we're faced with this morning. Do we love Jesus? We've got some ways that we know that we're supposed to. We've got some things that I didn't mention that the Holy Spirit is talking to you about you to you right now. Do you love me? Are you willing to give this up? Are you willing to take this step of obedience? Right, like that's how this works, is that as you look at that question, you're like, do I love Jesus? What evidence do I have in my life for the fact that I say that I love Jesus? Or maybe I just answer no. But if I answer no, I have to do that with realizing the fact that God gave himself for me and sacrificed himself for me and desires that relationship with me and loved me first. Uh, We're going to do communion in just a minute, so if you need to grab uh, the cups from the back, you you might want to do that now. Uh, But I'm going to close in prayer, and then then Dave will come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the fact that, that this question, do you love me, isn't one that just comes out of the blue in the abstract, but it comes from Jesus who came in the flesh and died for our sins. And then after he gave up everything of himself for us, he says, I loved you, do you love me? Father, I pray that as we look at this question, as we meditate on this question this week, that you would challenge us to examine ourselves. We have the same opportunity that Peter had self-examination to recommit our lives to you, Lord. I pray that you would move in our hearts and change us so that we will truly love you. That when you, when you ask us, do you love me, that we can say, yeah, absolutely I love you. And let me tell you about how much and all that I do because I care about you so deeply, Lord. I pray that that would be our response, that we could live our lives in a way that drives that response. We pray this in your name.